Well, welcome. Good morning, everybody. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. appreciate you guys coming on out. Today, we are continuing the series that we are calling More Than a Name. We're actually coming down the home stretch. We're going to wrap it up next week. But the premise of this series is that when we think about Bible stories, we tend to think about big box office names like, you know, Adam and Eve or David or Mary and Joseph around Christmas time, sort of scripture celebrities, if you will. And all I got to do is say their name. And if you've been around church any length of time, you kind of just know their story. But if we move beyond the names that are always kind of in lights, big marquee names, what you'll find is that scripture is actually loaded with people who have made an indelible mark on this world. And yet we don't even know their names, but that's okay, right? As we're going to see in this series, they are more than a name. So last week, if you were here, we talked about hell, which is everybody's favorite topic. And I told you that we're going to come back this week and we're going to speak about heaven. I lied. We're going to do hell again. Version <laughs> Just not kidding. Why not? No. So to do this, what I want to do is I want to introduce you to the most famous nameless person in all of scripture, the thief on the cross. And if you've been to church on Easter, chances are you've heard this story. Um, if you remember, Jesus was crucified between two criminals, one who ridiculed him, one who recognizes innocence, one who rejected him, the other worshiped him. Now, as I begin to work on today's series, today's sermon, I should say, on Monday, as I'm kind of sitting down and charting it all out, this woman just kept popping into my mind. I should say a woman from scripture, so it's not creepy or anything. So this, so this, <laughs> It's a whole different conversation. So this series, I don't think you know this, I don't think I said it, was actually the brainchild of our worship leader, Julia. About a month and a half ago, I said, hey, you know, I gotta come up with a June series. I don't really know what to talk about. Any ideas? And she said, you should talk about the nameless people in scripture. And I go, huh, I, so what does that look like? And she mentioned a story about this particular woman. So I went home and thought about it. And sure enough, I go, all right, it says legs. We can, we can do this. Fast forward a week or two later, I was talking to my other friend, Sarah, and I was saying, this is what we're going to do uh, in this series. And uh, she said, are you going to do this woman? Same story. I go, no, we're not going to. I got four weeks, already chosen, it's locked down. We're not going to do her. And she says, you should add a fifth week. Fine. I say all this because on Monday, as I'm writing about the thief on the cross, this woman wouldn't leave me alone. I just, I, like, I began to feel almost physically uncomfortable about the thief on the cross. And whenever I begin to feel these sort of roadblocks, if you will, I know that somebody, you know, doesn't want me to go that direction. And what was clear is that I couldn't ignore this woman anymore. And so today we're actually going to hit the pause on the thief on the cross. We'll talk about him some other day because I got to talk to you about the woman with the issue of the blood. Clearly, somebody needs to hear this story. I don't know who that is, but I'm going to talk about it. So this short little story, and it is really short, um, is found in three of the four Gospels. And we're going to look at Mark's version because his is the longest. Uh, the other interesting thing about this um, story is that it's sandwiched uh, right in the middle of somebody else's story. And this other story is important because it speaks this idea that on this particular day, when Jesus encounters this particular woman, he was on what I'm going to call a miracle marathon. So in this chapter, we see that the day begins, it's morning, and Jesus and his disciples get into a boat and they set sail across the Sea of Galilee. Famously, a storm hits, 
Disciples think they're all going to die. Jesus calms the storm. Once they land on the other side of the lake, Jesus runs into a man who is possessed by a demon. He casts out that demon. Once that is done, Mark tells us that Jesus gets back into the boat again, went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. So Jesus has just been like knocking it out of the park today. All right, it's like a banner day for Jesus. He is firing in all cylinders. It's just healing after healing after healing, teaching, teaching, teaching. And now he lands on the shore and the crowds are waiting. Now remember I said that our story is sandwiched into another story. So let me just show you that other story very quickly. It says, then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying. He said, please, come and lay your hands on her, heal her, so she can live. And of course, having sympathy on this man, Jesus agrees to heal her, says that Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. So let's kind of review the facts so far. Jesus is met on the shoreline by potentially hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. We don't have an exact number. And all these folks want to be near him. They want to hear what he has to say. They want to see what he's going to do. Jesus agrees to go to Jairus' home to heal the daughter. And everyone goes with him. The entire crowd. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people follow Jesus away from the lake into the city to Jairus' home. Now note that Mark tells us that they were crowding around him. Other translations say that they were actually pressing in on him. I don't know if you watched the TV show Chosen. Talked about it last week. If you haven't watched it yet, you need to go watch it. It's not like some cheesy Christian. It's actually really good. They do today's story, uh, and, and it's awesome, right? Now, here's how they portray the crowd. It's not the greatest picture. I don't know if it's a screenshot, to be honest with you. Jesus is sort of right over here, but it basically looks like Disney World. Now, I love like when, like I love when Disney like adults are like, ah, oh, the crowds were great this week, right? These are the crowds. <laughs> looks, looks awesome. Have fun with that. So. Remember, like these roads back then were not like federal highways. They're narrow. They're almost like alleyways. And so you've got a multitude of people following Jesus, basically falling all over him. He's like Elvis trying to leave a building. He can barely make any forward progress at all because it's just so congested. And in the midst of all of that chaos, we meet our nameless character. Mark tells us that a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years years with constant bleeding. So what do we know about this woman? Not much. All, all we're told here is that she suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. Other translations let us know that she was bleeding from her womb. So you kind of get an idea of what we're talking about here. Mark gives us a little bit more detail. He said she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. For 12 years, this woman went doctor to doctor to doctor trying to get help, and yet it says she only suffered under their care. She spent all that she had. She never got better. In fact, she got worse. Now, anybody who was at any type of chronic illness, some lingering issue that just refuses to get better, you can sympathize with this woman. One of the things we know about chronic illness and prolonged illness is that it affects everyone physically, emotionally, and I would argue spiritually. When you're dealing with an illness, when you're dealing with, a, with, with chronic pain for weeks, months, years, I mean, over a decade in this woman's case, 
That illness has the potential to impact every aspect of your life. And if you've suffered like that, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So let's try to imagine what this woman was, was going through, knowing what we know. Let's first talk about how she may have suffered physically. So like I said, scripture says she was bleeding for 12 years from her womb. And I reached out to a surgeon this week. He's a, he's a Christian. He is familiar with this story. And I just wanted to know, okay, if, if someone is bleeding like this for 12 years, what is that gonna, like, what's it gonna do to their body? And he said, based on the symptoms she's presenting, I think she most likely has uterine fibroids, which are very painful. Furthermore, due to the constant bleeding, depending on how much it was, she was likely severely anemic, which would lead to chronic exhaustion, um, fainting spells, compromised immune system, and most likely chronic mouth ulcers. 12 long years of that. Top of that, she would have suffered emotionally. So according to the law of Moses, and this woman was Jewish, if a woman had her period, it would make her what was known as being ritually unclean. She wasn't allowed to touch anyone. Others couldn't touch her. She couldn't go into the temple. Effectively, she had to stay quarantined. Now, normally, this would last for about seven days, right? Now, but because of this woman's condition, she was ritually unclean for 12 years. 12 years of no hugs. 12 years of no kisses, no handshakes, no pats on the back, no shared meals, no opportunity to go to church, no chance to socialize. I mean, I don't care how strong you are, 12 years without normal human contact would take a toll on anyone emotionally. Anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, you name it. And what's worse, because she was unclean, she would have been treated like a pariah like an outcast. People would have avoided her like the, like the plague. Anytime she would have left her home, people would almost cross the other side of the street for fear that she would make them unclean. And furthermore, they would have assumed that she was cursed by God. In, in the Jewish mind back then, if you had some physical malady, some kind of handicap, some sort of chronic illness, they assumed it was because of sin and that you were cursed by God. So this woman suffered physically, she suffered emotionally and, and socially. And often when you're in that state, you also suffer spiritually. When you're sick and not getting better, when you pray and nothing seems to happen, you've got to be aware that in that moment, you are extremely vulnerable to the enemy. It is during those seasons of life where the enemy whispers into your ear, God doesn't love you. God doesn't answer your prayer. God doesn't answer prayers at all. Don't waste your time on God. Clearly, he's not a good God if he's letting you suffer like this. See, the enemy's goal is to capitalize on your illness and your weakened state, to try to pull you from God, to lure you into no longer praying, to convince you not to read scripture, to convince you not to fellowship with other believers, to effectively hide from God and the world to just be swallowed up in some spiritual, emotional, and physical depression. But here's what's so amazing about this woman. For 12 years of being sick, 12 years of, of, of failed medical interventions, after 12 years of crying out to God and seemingly receiving no answer, this woman did not allow her illness to push her away from God. Rather, as we're going to see, it drove her to Jesus. Mark tells us that when 
she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Couple things to note. This woman in a last ditch effort to be healed, who is ritually unclean, who isn't supposed to be around people, throws caution to the wind, makes her way through that crowd and quietly comes up behind Jesus and touches his cloak. It's like she wants to get in and she wants to get out without being noticed. She wants to fly under the radar. There's something else interesting that's happening here. Notice her thought pattern. She goes, if I can touch his clothes, I'll be healed. What's that about? At this time, there was a prevailing Jewish superstition that a person's clothes contained their power. And so based on this superstition, she reasons, I don't need to actually say anything to Jesus. I can remain anonymous in the crowd. I can protect myself from the judgment of others if I just touch his clothes. That's all I got to do. See, she believes in Jesus. She believes Jesus has power, but she also believes in superstition, which means that the woman had imperfect faith. Okay, theologically, she, she, she had some beliefs that were just incorrect. She didn't understand everything there was to understand about Jesus yet. Last week, I was talking to a guy. He told me he was new to Christianity, and I said, how, you know, what are we talking about? He said, three weeks. I said, that's new, okay? And he said, I just, he said, maybe you can help me out with this. Help me out. Can, I just don't understand the Trinity. And I said, welcome to the club. <laughs> that's a, right? That's a mystery, right? There, here's the truth. There are just some things in our faith that we may never fully understand. But just because we don't understand everything doesn't mean we cannot believe in something or someone. The truth is none of us has perfect faith. We really don't. There are things in scripture that we just don't understand. There are beliefs that all of us hold that quite frankly might be wrong. None of us has perfect faith. This woman didn't have perfect faith. But God, as you're gonna see, can work with imperfect faith. So this woman superstitiously touches Jesus and immediately the bleeding stops. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. I love the fact that it says immediately. Other translations say instantly. For 12 years, this woman suffered. And with one touch, she's healed. That's the power of our God. One touch is all you need. One touch and everything changes for you. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? I love this. It's like Jesus just stops in his tracks in the middle of that huge crowd you saw. And you can kind of picture everybody abruptly stopping and slamming into each other and a hush comes over the crowd. Who touched my clothes? Peter, the disciple, looks at him and says, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? Another, right? In other words, like who isn't touching you? <laughs> Come on, who isn't touching you? Jesus is like, no, 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 no. People are bumping into me. But someone touched me. So you can come to church every single week and bump into Jesus. That isn't the same as reaching out to touch him in faith. Who touched me? This healing, when you look at Jesus' earthly ministry, was the most efficient healing that Jesus ever did. Think about this. He's walking down the street. 
minding his own business, if you will, looking forward, thinking about what he's going to be doing for Jairus' um, daughter. Now behind him, a woman comes up, touches him. She's healed. She gets what she came for. Jesus doesn't even break his stride. He could just keep walking if he wanted to, but he doesn't because he knows that someone was just healed. He felt the power go out of him, and he knows because he's God exactly who touched him. He knows her name. He knows her story. He knows how she suffered. Jesus knows who touched her. So why does he ask this question? It's because she needed more than a physical healing. She needed emotional healing. She needed spiritual healing. God saw this woman, who had just been physically healed, still cowering in fear, trying to hide, trying to slink away in the crowd. She still had the emotional wounds that only Christ could heal, feelings of shame and fear and anxiety that had yet to be transformed by his grace. And Jesus loved her so much that he couldn't just let her walk away without healing those wounds as well. Who touched me? Watch how she responds. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Why is she trembling with fear? Remember, she wanted to remain anonymous in this whole thing. She wanted to get in and she wanted to get out. That's not happening now. The spotlight is on her and she is afraid because she doesn't know what's going to happen. I mean, is the crowd going to turn against her? Are they going to stone her for breaking the law of Moses and touching someone who is clean, a rabbi nonetheless? What's Jesus going to do? Is he going to yell at her? Is he going to shame her? Is he going to condemn her? Watch how Jesus responds. He said to her, daughter. Now that's huge. This shows the heart of our Lord. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't condemn her. It's just love and acceptance. This woman who has been cast aside for the last 12 years of her life, who hasn't been touched, hugged, loved on, who, if she were married, probably would have lost her husband because of this condition, is now being called daughter by God himself. And for that matter, this was the only time that Jesus ever used this term. This was special. She was special, and he wanted her to know that daughter, he says, your faith has healed you. Now we thought, think he's talking about her condition right here. We miss something here because we are English speakers. This word healed in the Greek actually meant to save. So what Jesus is actually saying here is, your faith in me has saved you. He's talking about her sins. See, not only was she physically healed, but now she's received spiritual healing as well. Because of her faith in Christ, she has been saved. She has been healed. She is a new creation. And then he says, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. A third healing. Not only has Jesus healed her physically and spiritually, he's healing her emotionally. Be freed from the isolation you've been put into. Be freed from the condemnation that you have felt from others. Be free from the loneliness and the depression. Be freed from the doubts that you may have had about God and his goodness. Because of your faith in me, you are healed 
You are free, and you are part of God's family. We may not know her name, but we sure know her story, and it's a powerful one. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time you're at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So there's one aspect of this story that really stuck out to me this week, and I think it's worth landing on for our practical. So this woman, for 12 years, was on a journey to find healing. Mark describes it like this. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she only grew worse. So she had a felt need in her life, and she did all she could do to fix it. She went from doctor to doctor to doctor. She spent all of her money, and instead of getting better, she got worse. Now, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what the felt need is in your life. But all I can say is this. Just make sure you're seeking the right remedy. Now, this woman was correct in seeking medical help, but what she didn't realize is that she needed something more than medical help. Now, we might not be suffering from a physical illness like she is, but we're suffering nonetheless. You might be suffering from anger, bitterness, emptiness. You might be suffering from anxiety, feelings of inadequacy or, or discontent. All of us have something going on. And here's the truth. We're all chasing a cure. Now, we might be not going like doctor to doctor like this woman, but in an effort to heal ourselves, we are looking to, you know, uh, self-help books, podcasts, partying, drugs and alcohol, social media, sex, detoxes, cleanses, yoga. Now, here's what I want you to recognize about all of these cures that we're trying. We might find relief, but we're not getting better. Like those remedies that we're all trying, they might distract you from your problem. They might momentarily help you forget about your issue. You might feel some relief, but you're not being healed. In fact, if we're honest, it seems like we're only getting worse. The truth is, you've tried everything, but have you tried Jesus? And this is the most churchiest thing I've ever written in my entire life. I felt like Billy Graham after I wrote this down, but it's true, okay? I mean, even if you've been a Christian your entire lives, we, we, f we forget to go to the source, go everywhere else. Now, here's what's so great about this story, and I just want to make sure you don't miss this. Jesus was this woman's last-ditch effort. He was the very last thing that she tried, okay? Meaning she tried everything else and then Jesus. And guess what? He wasn't mad. You saw for yourself, he didn't yell at her. He didn't say, why didn't you come to me first? He didn't say, oh, look who finally showed up. Instead, he looked at this woman who has been beaten down by the world and her illness, and he called her daughter. In other words, I love you. I came for you. And I'm just so glad that you finally came to me. Now, I don't know what kind of healing you need in your life, but here's what I do know. Jesus, based on what I see in this account, may want to do something more in your life 
than you realize. And he may want to heal you in ways that you never realized you needed. So I would just challenge you. Let whatever it is that you are struggling with drive you to Jesus. Be healed. Be freed from your suffering. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, so many of us are quietly suffering with wounds that perhaps no one can see but you. And God, maybe those wounds have driven us away from our family and our friends. Perhaps church has even driven us away because of it. God, but whatever we're suffering with, whatever we're dealing with, whatever trying to healing we're trying to look for, God, I pray that today you would challenge us, you would call us to you, that we would reach out in faith and touch you and perhaps feel healing for the first time in a long time. Heal us, Lord. Set us free from what we are suffering from. I ask this in the mighty powerful name of Jesus.